Alright, welcome to the Red Triangle Sports Podcast. It is Friday and we are talking baseball. Um, for really the first time, we're going to devote a whole show to baseball here. I am your host, <clears throat> Matt Kozlowski. Joining me, uh, another baseball expert we have here, Shane Stein. Thanks for having me, Matt. And uh, executive producer wearing the headphones, Nate Fretz here as well. Thanks for having me, too. Alright, um, so here we're going to start, I guess, talking about we're going to spend a majority of the show today talking about catchers, um, and then I just wanted to lead off quickly. We had a trade yesterday in baseball, and I think it's a trade with some um, pretty interesting fantasy implications. Two shows ago, we talked about Gerardo Parra going to Colorado and how we kind of thought that was a nice move for Parra and the Rockies and his fantasy value. But we did kind of preface that with the fact we expected somebody to be traded from the Colorado outfield. Well, the Rockies shipped Corey Dickerson to Tampa Bay yesterday, along with a minor leaguer for closer Jake McGee and a minor leaguer. So I guess let's kick it over here to Stein. Your original thoughts about this trade, because I had to even bring it up to you when you got here because you didn't know about it. It kind of flew under the radar, I think. Yeah, I missed the trade last night. I, I didn't see it, but my first reaction when he told me is just mind-boggling. I, I don't really know what's going on here. Uh, I think this is a really, really weird move by the Rockies. Uh, I feel like Corey Dickerson's a pretty decent young player, and I mean Jake McGee. I mean I know it's important to have you want to have a strong bullpen, but I feel like this is a move maybe you make more in the middle of the year if you're you're a contending team. And you're trying to bolster a bullpen for for a playoff push or something like that, but uh, off season, right before the season gets started, I feel like could have gotten way more value for a player like Dickerson. Especially, I feel like they had him locked up for a little bit for a few years, and I'm not sure McGee's contract, but I feel like they had Dickerson on on the on the books for a couple more years at least. Yeah, I think the the frustrating for me, Dickerson was a guy I owned um, each of the last two seasons at uh, different times in the season, but the frustrating thing for me is that. You know, Dickerson had some monster potential in Colorado. That pretty much goes away. Um, and then the other thing is that doesn't make sense is I agree Colorado had to trade one of these players. I just feel like they're trading Dickerson at one of his lower um, values coming off an injury. And I don't think Cargo's ever going to have a year again like he had last year. So I, that would have been the, the guy for me to move if I was them. But if they really like um, McGee that much, I mean... <clears throat> One thing that I think Colorado's targeting now in the offseason here, they've added McGee and Jason Mott, guys that throw high 90s. I just think they're trying to see if they can miss bats with high velocity at this point because I don't I don't know if they're ever going to figure out a pitching strategy that's worked for them in the last 10 years or so. So maybe this is their newest one, and they're going to see if uh, high heat works. I, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know if this is the trend now in baseball. I mean, I, maybe the Royals have started something here. <clears throat> They've kind of been the, the poster child the, the last couple of years. Hey, let's try to shorten the game. Let's let's have a solid bullpen where if we get through six with our starter, I mean, and we have three lockdown guys at the end, we, we're going to win most of the time. And, I mean, I saw the Yankees do it with their move this offseason, picking up Chapman. And maybe the Rockies are trying to follow suit and they're trying to bolster the bullpen. But I, I just don't know that this is going to be a move that – that really makes them any more of a contender than what they would have been. Uh, I still think they have a bunch bunch of pieces missing, and I don't I don't know that their starting rotation is even good enough to to be that kind of team that they can get through the sixth inning and get to the bullpen. So, yeah, bullpen pieces for me are usually the last piece of the puzzle that get added to a contender. Um, I think the Rockies are quite a few pieces away from being able to say, "Let's just add to our bullpen here." Um, one thing about Colorado players, their home road splits tend to be drastic. Um, Nate, I got a question for you. Out of Blackman, Dickerson, and Cargo, which one of those three do you think plays best away from Colorado? I don't know. I mean, personally, I'd probably say Cargo. You know, best all-around player, mm-hmm. I'd say, out of the group. Yeah, I, I think that would probably hold true for me, too. Um, the one thing... I'll say in Blackman's favor is the steals. That might help his fantasy value even away from Colorado. Yeah, I was actually going to go with Blackman for this question if you asked me. Uh, I like his all-around value as far as 
all the categories you can fill up. I mean, there's no question. I think Cargo is the probably the best, best player, player out of yeah. the, out of the group. But I don't know. I, I I was down on Cargo last year. I had an opportunity to pick him up in our league, and I didn't do it. And then I know we talked about it late in the year. We looked up, and he had like 22 home runs in a 40 day span or something ridiculous <clears throat> yeah. like that. It was just incredible. Uh, so, I mean, the guy's still going, I guess. But I'm, I'm a little down on Cargo for this year. So I think I think Blackman might be the guy that uh, is the best out of those three from away from course. Yeah, I was really looking forward to a, a career of Corey Dickerson in Colorado, but uh, appears we will not get to enjoy that. He'll go to what is a crowded Tampa Bay outfield with guys like Desmond Jennings and uh, Steven Souza. So it'll be interesting to see how much time Dickerson gets, how much they use him. And what Jake McGee's real value is in Colorado, and what is a pretty loaded NL West. Yeah, uh, I, I feel like the biggest hit here, fantasy wise, is is going to go for Dickerson. I mean, he, I feel like he's a guy that is was looked at as as kind of a, a definitely guy you could start in your outfield at really high fantasy value when he's playing in Colorado. Now, when he's with Tampa Bay, we're going to see how it shakes out. I I feel like they're a kind of team that likes to play matchups. Uh, they, they they sit their guys a lot in situations if they feel like uh, they don't have a great matchup on that particular day. So yeah, there's some... no there's no chance he plays against Dave, David Price and other lefties in in the AL East. There's no shot that they're going to run him out there against them. Yeah, so I feel like it really is really going to kill his value a little bit there because I mean you're not getting an everyday guy anymore, and especially taking him out of the the friendly confines that he that he used to be in. Uh, so it's going to be interesting. I, I mean, as far as McGee's value. I don't know that it really, really drops at any. Still a solid bullpen option, depending on what what kind of leagues you're in. So yeah. Well, I'm happy as a guy that traded Corey Dickerson last year. Um, he was kind of part of a number of dominoes that I moved around last year. I, I traded a bunch of draft cash and prospects early in the year to get Tulowitzki in one league, and then I kind of got that draft cash back by moving Dickerson for Billy Hamilton and a bunch of draft cash. So kind of feeling okay about doing that at this point. It was a move that I was kind of hoping would have vaulted me to win it all last year. That didn't happen. Um, so I was kind of kicking myself for moving Dickerson at that point. But now I don't regret it as much. Yeah, it was a move that I actually liked. You made it in the season, and I liked the fact that you beforehand. Now it's just even more. It just bolsters kind of little cherry on top. Makes, yeah. you, it, makes it even better. Hey, I got rid of this guy. Because he probably would have been a guy that you would have been looking at keeping this year, I yes, feel definitely. like. And now now I don't know that he's a keeper option once now that he's out of Colorado, so it's going to be interesting. Yeah, I, I think people will – I would avoid him on draft day entirely because what you're going to have to pay for the name and what everyone remembers of Corey Dickerson I think is going to be too expensive for what, um, what you're actually going to get in terms of production. All right, so let's start talking catchers. I wanted to kind of ease into our into our ranking shows here, so we'll take what I think is maybe the easiest category. It's very top heavy, so let's start talking catchers first. I guess I want to talk catcher strategy. Um, for me, we were in a league together last year. Stein, we were co-owners. I got Posey with one of our early picks. For me, it's Posey or you are the last person to get the catcher in the league, and the reason I feel that way. I like two things about Posey. Obviously, the production, amazing. The fact that he's usually out there every single day, either a catcher or first base. And that's the other um, nice thing is like position, eligibi- or position eligibility for Posey. I know there were a couple weeks last year where um, Victor Martinez was another guy on our team that we were playing at first base, and he was hurt for a couple weeks. And we ended up moving Posey to first base and starting, I think it was Nick Hundley, two weeks when he had six home games at Colorado. Um, so that's the nice thing about Posey, too. If there's no other waiver wire options and you want to pick up a guy like Nick Hundley who's got six games in cores and you want to run him out there over whoever your first baseman may be or corner infield position, um, that really allows you to do some things. So that my catcher strategy typically is Posey or the last guy in, in my two leagues last year. We had Posey in that one. And then in my other 16-team league, I got Wilson Ramos for a dollar before I dropped him to pick up someone that had dropped Jan Gomes. Um, 
which is another guy we're going to talk about today because I do like him bouncing back this year. But what do you usually like to do with catchers? Yeah, my, my strategy with catchers is pretty similar to yours. I mean, the top tier is so small, and I feel like Posey is, is so much of a better option than just about everyone else that if you don't, if you can't get him, then you really are stretching if you want to pay up to get someone else. Uh, I feel like the Tier 2s and Tier 3s are, are so muddled, and they're they're so matchup dependent, I feel like, that there's not much significant difference from a fantasy standpoint. Um, I usually don't like to pay up to get a catcher. I mean, obviously, if you can get a guy like Posey, and if you can get a top-tier catcher, it helps your, helps your team out, because it's the one position I feel like there's a significant gap between the top guys and the middle guys. So... I mean, I know it's it's laughable because last year I actually did keep a catcher. I kept Matt Weeders. Well, I was a believer. I was laughing about the fact that you spent almost $30 on Bull and Rosario two years ago. But. I, I was. A couple of years ago, my strategy was a little different. I was really high on Rosario. I liked what he did. And I, I thought he was going to put up a monster year, and it, it backfired. So now I, I've kind of come back to earth and kind of fallen into in the line with everyone else. I feel like everyone's pretty much similar on that boat. They, if you can't get Posey, if you can't get a top guy like Kyle Schwarber, there's really, there's really not a whole lot of guys that you kind of just have to say, you know what, I'm going to punt the catcher position, and I'll, I'll play matchups the rest of the way. I feel, I feel like that's the one position where you can play matchups, though. It's kind of, hey, if this guy has a has a, a good week coming up where I can get some games in, in ballparks that are hitter-friendly and maybe some pitcher matchups that are friendly towards them, then there's usually guys on the, on the waiver wire that you can pick up and play for plug-and-play for a few days. Before we get into the guts of the rankings, are there any young guys, Nate, that you think um, could contend for that top tier up there with Posey? And, you know, I'll throw Schwarber in there because we all pretty much yeah. know about him. I mean, I, I think, you know, this year, you know, with the Royals doing so, with Salvador Perez, I think he's he's looking pretty promising. I mean, he shows that he can deliver in playoff baseball. But, uh, no, I think he's, he's, he's a good, you know, mid-level guy. That if you can't get one of those top tier catchers, you, you know he's something good to settle for. Mm-hmm. Look for him in the later rounds. Yeah, we'll get to our rankings here in a couple of minutes. But two guys that I'm looking to really shoot up the catcher rankings: um, Devin Mesoraco, obviously coming off an injury last year, he had a real nice uh, 2014 campaign. So I'm I'm expecting big things from him. He's a guy that I think could challenge that top tier. And then uh, Travis Darnell. Um, Big power potential. I like what uh, Darno could do with the Mets. I feel like he made some strides last year. So those are two guys that I think I'm expecting to jump up to catcher rankings. You took the words out of my mouth. Darno was the one guy that I was looking at as far as I feel like he can make a big jump this year. I'm really excited about the, the home run potential from him. Uh, a couple other guys I'm looking at, though. Uh, JT Realmuto mm-hmm. from uh, Miami. I feel like he has some value at... Uh, He's not going to be a top-tier guy, I don't think, but he could definitely be a guy that yeah. jumps in and, and increases his value this year. And I'm still looking at Yasmani Grandal. Mm-hmm. Uh, I liked what I saw from him last year. Uh, I feel like you can get some, some power numbers from him. And I'm hoping for Grandal's sake, with Mattingly gone, he plays more. Because yeah. Mattingly never ran the same lineup out on back-to-back nights, and that was frustrating, I think, owning some Dodgers last year for me. Yeah, I feel like Mattingly, we, we've talked about this a bunch of times. I feel like he was just one of the worst managers in baseball. Yes. He, he's So appropriately, he goes to Miami. Yeah, so, so we'll see there. But I think I think Grandall is the kind of guy that has a chance to shoot up some ranking boards this year. So, All right, so let's talk about these in tiers. Um, Shane and I did rankings, and then Nate can jump in and talk about guys here as he sees fit. Um Tier one, pretty obvious. We both have Posey as our number one catcher. And then my tier two ends with Schwarber. I don't think there's anybody else to talk about in terms of... Because to me, tier one means you could be the top catcher in the game, fantasy-wise. So for me, it's Posey and Schwarber. Yeah, I have Posey as my number one guy. I, I threw I threw Schwarber into tier one with him. Uh, I don't think Schwarber gets to where Posey's at this year. But I think he has the potential to. So that's why I left him up there in the tier with him. Because I think there is a gap between Schwarber and the next group. Kind of like you just said, you have him by himself in the next tier. So I threw him up there with Posey because I think he has the potential to 
be close, mm-hmm. but I don't think he's going to get there. Yeah. The the thing that I think is going to be interesting to watch with Schwarber is does he catch enough um, to maintain his catcher eligibility for the next year? Because I think we can kind of agree we'd still like Schwarber if he was only an outfielder, but we wouldn't like him as much if he didn't have the catcher eligibility. Yeah, definitely. Uh, looks like they're going to play him in left field most of the time, I feel like. Uh, but I'm sure he'll get some time behind the plate. Uh, as long as he keeps that catcher eligibility, he's going to be a fantasy commodity. But yeah, if he if he's only an outfield eligible player, he, he turns into more of a, maybe like a third tier outfielder, just a kind of a, a little bit above average. I mean, you're still going to start him in fantasy world, but He's, his value is definitely going to decline if he doesn't have that catcher eligibility. Would, would Jay Bruce be a comp maybe for him as an outfielder when, when Jay Bruce was in his prime? I, th- I think he might even be slightly below Jay Bruce really? in his prime, in, in my opinion. I, I don't know that you're going to get the, the speed that Bruce sometimes provides. Well, definitely not with sure. Yeah, so, I mean, the power numbers might are going to be similar, I feel like, maybe even better than Jay Bruce. But I, I feel like maybe slightly a little bit below where Jay Bruce was in, in his best years. Question for you guys on Posey. Um, with not real much of a question about his production, but is there a, a point here at some point where he moves to first base exclusively for San Francisco? Is he where, is his value so much offensively that they can diminish what he brings to them defensively? Because I think sometimes his defensive game gets um, vastly overrated. I don't see it happening soon. Uh, it might eventually. I mean, we saw it with uh, Maurer mm-hmm. in Minnesota, how he kind of just completely left the catching game, and he, he's more of a first-base DH. I think Posey is going to be behind the plate for a little while more in San Francisco. I feel like his value to them defensively behind the plate is just about the second best in the league behind Yadier Molina. Uh I feel like having those two, we touched on it a couple weeks ago, I think, when we talked baseball, and just the value of those two guys behind the plate, how they handle a staff, how they just control the game, is such a significant advantage, and that's why you see St. Louis and San Francisco kind of dominating the NL landscape in the past few years. Uh, I don't see it happening in the next year or two. It might happen down the road, but I'm still still thinking they're going to keep Posey back there for, for a couple more years. Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, uh, you know, one of the biggest things in baseball and, you know, just in general is that, you know, like that pitcher-catcher connection. And Posey's been behind the plate, you know, back for when they're uh, postseason the last few years. I mean, he's really been solid back there. So I don't really think, you know, in the near future, like this year or next year, we're going to see him uh, make the move yet. Yeah, I would tend to agree. But I, I do think it's, like you said, maybe three, four years down the line. Um, they're gonna have to do something to keep his bat productive. Yeah, I feel I feel like it's a kind of inevitable. I mean, that catcher position is so tough. Once you you log so many games back there, your legs are just bound to to give out, and it, it really you see it with everyone pretty much. That the, the offensive decline just catches up with you after you catch a certain amount of games throughout your career. It's just impossible to, to stay healthy and stay strong, catching 140, 150 games every year. So. With how good he is offensively, it's it's not far fetched to say they're gonna they're gonna have to make that move. But yeah, I, I think it'll be a little later than than the next couple of years. All right, so tier two: Sally Perez for me, Devin Mesoraco, Brian McCann, and Jonathan Lucroy. That's my tier two. Shane, do we match on anyone there? Uh, my tier two right now: I have Lucroy, I have McCann, I have Sally Perez. Through Darno in there, and I also have Russell Martin in there. Uh, I still like what he does. Uh, I feel like he's in a pretty good lineup and has potential to do to do some good things. So those are my five. I have in tier two. Like I said, tier two and tier three to me are, are so muddled. Though I don't know that there's that's a significant gap between any of these guys and some of the guys I have in the top of tier three. So. Those are the five guys I went with in tier two. So I have Mizoraco in my tier two. You don't. And then you have Darno and Martin, and I have them in my first two guys in tier three. So um, I think we're pretty close there. Uh, we'll talk about Mizoraco in a little bit here, but can we realistically expect 
this much from Brian McCann at this stage? I didn't realistically expect it from last year, and it still happened. Uh, I was a big McCann owner about three, four years ago. I, I love the guy, especially who's playing in Atlanta, so it was, it was more of a homework pick for me. But I, I thought that the decline was certainly on his way. I usually tend to side on once catchers hit the age of 30, I'm done with you. Uh, it's kind of my staple when I'm looking at fantasy. If you turn 30 as a catcher, I'm, I'm just going to overlook you. But I thought McCann was reaching that point where he was going to go decline, and then he puts up a nice year last year. He was actually one of the big pieces of the team that won our league, mm-hmm. uh, having that year that he did. So I don't know that we can even repeat exactly what he did last year, but playing in the Yankee Stadium and that short court in the right field is certainly a big boost for him. I mean, I don't really have to ball that far to get, to get out in right field in the Yankee Stadium, and can't seem to be able to still a little bit left in the tank, so. It was a nice resurgence for McCann and Teixeira last year in New York. Um, Jonathan Looper, another guy I guess I want to talk about. He's already mentioned that he's not really happy in Milwaukee. We'd rather play for a winner. Can't blame him. Um, do you think that maybe eats into what he can do offensively? He had a really bad year last year. Yeah, so I was looking at some rankings early in the preseason here. I see Looper as the guy that they're ranking kind of like as a tier three. Maybe like the 10th best catcher this year. Not too long ago, he was, he was the number two, number three option. I mean, he was he was a guy. So I was high on numbers right now. He had the I guess it was the big 2014. He had a real nice season. And then last year, it just kind of didn't work out for him. I guess the unhappiness in Milwaukee could probably play a role in that. I still think that what he does offensively keeps him. In one of the higher tiers, he's not a top tier guy that I'm going to pay any extra money for, but I still think he's a guy that you can definitely target and, and can get a good price in your draft. I wouldn't mind having him on my team. All right, potential to buy a little candidate there. Jonathan Lillicroy from Stein here. Tier 3 for me, Darnell, Russell Martin, Jan Jones, and then Gaddis. That's my Tier 3. Um, what do you have as far as Tier 3? Uh, I have Stephen Vogt. Matt Weeders, Devin Masarocco, Wellington Castillo, and JT Rabuta. So, those are my next guys in line. Uh, it really gets muddled here. I have another group of five or six guys that I feel like are real close. Yeah. There's not much separation. But. So, the guy you brought up was Matt Weeders, Frexy, you're a Baltimore fan. Yeah. You look like Weeders coming back this year from having the finals having the whole season, hopefully. Uh, yeah, I do. I mean, you know, when he first broke in the majors, he looked pretty promising, and he got injured. And, but, uh, you know, I think, you know, there's going to be a lot of room in the lineup for him to, you know, stand and really show his talents. So uh, I might look at him as, you know, like a last resort option, you know, a guy to pick up week to week. Uh, but, yeah. I see him getting a waiver of our guy, you know, most of the year. Um, I see him coming out hot right out of the gate. Vote's a guy that you and I kind of spent a lot of time talking about last year. He had a real crowded uh, catcher in the corner and field and outfield situation. And Vote was one of those guys, and you were trying to move him to me, I think, at various times throughout the season. You're expecting Vote to be able to maintain what he did last year. He's a guy that I think he probably finished top five catchers last year. I have him as 14th on mine, but. Yeah, I have him in the, the eighth slot right now in my catcher rankings. But, I mean, he was a guy that carried me for the first couple months of the season. I picked him up on, on the waiver wire early in the year, and he was kind of the top catcher in baseball for the first six to eight weeks. Uh, he was just outstanding. And then he was the kind of guy that I, I knew that I had to try to get value for him somewhere. I didn't expect him to keep it up all year. But it was just kind of impossible to get rid of him. I felt like there wasn't, wasn't really much... As far as value, I wasn't going to be able to get any good value for him, and I just couldn't get rid of him to anyone. But I don't think he keeps up what he did last year. I feel like he was so hot, and the RBIs were just so ridiculous for him in the beginning of the year that I don't think he can keep that pace up. And I feel like as the year went on, you kind of saw more of what you're going to expect from Vodai. I feel like he really cooled off in the second half. I don't think it's going to be that low, but I feel like... It's, it's inevitable that he's going to regress back to more of a, a middle-tier kind of guy. Wellington Castillo, the guy you brought up here, too. He's not in my tier three. He's in yours. He actually missed my top 15 altogether. 
he was the guy that was the hardest guy for me to rank. Um, I hate the 0 for 4 because they usually come with three strikeouts. But the power potential is real. And is that really what you're chasing here as far as catchers goes? Yeah. I usually, like, look, I know there's a guy in our league every year who never pays for catcher, and he always ends up getting a guy that's just based solely on power. Uh, Billy Hunt Sr., he does it every year. And it seems to work out for him. And I think Castillo fits into that mold where if you're not going to get a top catcher guy, you might as well go for someone who's going to fill out one category, has a chance to put up a, a decent a decent number of home runs for you. If you can find a guy that's going to put up a 20 home run season, then you go after him. I think Castillo has that kind of potential. I know the batting average obviously isn't going to be there, um, but he has the potential to put up some, some big power numbers from the catcher spot, so that's why I put him there. All right, so why, why Gomes and Gaddis out of your Tier 3? I don't know. I, I just feel like Gaddis is, is slowly declining. I feel like we were too high on him mm-hmm. for some reason. I don't I don't know why. I know Gaddis was really good two years ago, mm-hmm. but I just feel like he's a guy that's destined to decline. His swing's really long for me. I, I, I don't know that he's going to be in the mold in Houston for for this season. I, I think he might his role might slowly diminish. So I, I've, I'm really low on Gaddis this year for, for that reason. And I just think he's going to drop down to more of a Tier 4 kind of guy for me. He, he could still certainly be a Tier 2 guy by all means. Mm-hmm. I mean, he has that kind of potential. But for me, I just think he's going to drop off this year. If it comes down to me taking a flyer on a guy like Gomes or Gaddis over a guy like Real Mudo, um, I think I would lean Gomes or Gaddis. I, I don't get really excited about anything the Marlins do. So... Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's really hard to get excited by anything that the Marlins do besides for really Stanton and Jose Fernandez. I mean, after that, I mean, you're really reaching. I mean, everything they do kind of seems to be a disaster. D. Gordon. D. Gordon, yeah. I mean, sorry, I forgot about him, but everything they seem to do seems to be a disaster, and things just don't seem to work out for them. They're a really poorly run franchise. So I guess I can see where you're coming from there. Uh, I'm just excited. I mean, Real Muto's youth, I think, is a little bit more of a factor for me. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm thinking maybe maybe you get some cheap stolen bases out of the guy. Maybe yeah. he fills out a couple categories for you. So. He was a guy I was playing sometimes in my uh, DFS lineups last year. It's catcher's usually a position I punt when it comes to daily. So Real Muto was a guy I was throwing out there at the minimum 2,200, um, trying to get in on that action when he first came up when he was playing a lot. Nate, do you like do you like a guy like Jan Gomes or you kind of he doesn't really do much for you? Yeah, I mean for me, like the the biggest thing uh, for fantasy catchers is it's consistency. I mean, if you can put up you know consistent points, you know I'm, I'm not always looking for the big home run hitters and they but they strike out the next day mm-hmm. over three like you were saying. I'm more the the guy okay you get me you know like an ESPN type league you know like you know two three points a day that's great yeah. you know. Yeah, I guess I'm still just chasing Gomes, trying to be right uh, last year because I held on to him through his stretch where he wouldn't get a hit for a week straight. And maybe I'm still chasing that because when I really sit back and think about it, Gomes isn't too much different than Wellington Castillo, I guess. <laughs> no, they're very they're very similar. Uh, it's kind of just pick your poison. Who do, you, who do you like more a little bit out of those guys? I guess for me, it's, like I say, it's really muddled. Uh, you can kind of go either way here. It's it's more just opinion based, and for whatever reason, I'll, I'll take Castillo over Gomes at this point. Yeah. All right, my final tier: uh, Yasmani Grandal, Blake Swihart, Matt Weeters, Stephen Vote, and then Francisco Cervelli wraps wraps up my top fifteen. Um, Swihart is a guy that I really like too, and Cervelli was a guy that quietly was really really productive last year so those are two guys that um, I'm kind of looking at as my first or last you know it's either Posey or guys like maybe Cervelli or Swihart guys that are high contact in what I think are two pretty decent lineups yeah my, my next tier I had Grundahl was the, was the next guy in my tier 3 tier 4 I, I couldn't really make a decision on him then I have Derek, Nor- Derek Norris Evan Gaddis, Yadier Molina, and Nick Hundley as my rounding out my, my tiers here. I just feel like those guys could, could jump into a tier above. I, I feel like depending on what happens, I mean, they could they can be guys that could go anywhere from tier 2 to tier 4. 
Uh, I really like Yadier Molina, though. I feel like I, I kind of underrated him here. Just based on the fact that he's he seems to always be in there. I mean, he's a kind of a consistent guy. but Questionable to start the season. Yeah. Got a thumb injury, so. Yeah, that kind of hurts, but I feel like he'll be out there. Yeah. The thing I like about Molina, I mean, you're not going to get any. The power's kind of done. Uh, but the fact that he plays a lot mm-hmm. is such a big factor, especially when it comes to the catcher position, because... Sometimes you put a guy in your lineup and, and then you, you find out right before game time they're not playing that day. and It just really hurts. If you can find a catcher that's going to play 140, 150 games, it's such an advantage over the guys that only play 120. So for me, that's where it keeps Molina's value there is the fact that he likes to be out there every day. And he seems to come through when, with runners on base. He seems to be an RBI guy. He, he does well in hitting in situations and driving people in. So find that kind of value from a catcher it's it's always nice yeah i forgot to mention that as a piece of my catcher strategy um you want guys that are out there um almost five six days a week um that's what i think makes salvador perez so valuable is that just he plays so much and it's nice that posey and schwarber when they're not catching they play a different position um same thing with you know gaddis he's probably not going to catch it all this year so that's the value in having gaddis the problem is is he's probably not good enough to play left or DH every day either. So that's the issue there. And then a guy like Weeders, that's another value to him, I think, is you know, he's a DH most times when, when you know Caleb Joseph gets a start behind the plate or something like that. So um, guys, you, you didn't mention Swihart and Cervelli at all. Were they close for you or not really? Swihart was my next guy. Uh, Cervelli was off my board completely. Swihart was a guy I looked at. I'd like to see a little more from him before I jump in on the on the Swihart. I know when he came up, and there's a lot of talk about him being in the minors and when he came up last year, but he's a guy I'd like to see perform a little bit before I get too high on him. I see people ranking him anywhere from being a top 10 guy to, to being a, a guy that's around 20. So mm-hmm. I feel like he's going to fall in somewhere in the middle there, but... He's just a guy I'd like to keep an eye on before I before I jump in, go head over heels over just because he had a big name coming out of uh, the minor league ranks. Yeah, I thought he finished the season pretty well last year, and like I said, I, I still like that Boston lineup. I still think they can do some things with a full year of Rusny Castillo, and you know Betts. I think maybe was trying to chase his expectations a little much in the beginning of the season. We let the game kind of come to him in the second half. He put up a monster second half, and then you got Big Poppy as always. I think Pedroia is, um, he's never going to be what he was, but I still like him now. Um, I think he's now kind of reached the point where you're not going to pay for the name, and you're actually going to pay for the production, so I'm willing to now get back into the Dustin Pedroia guy who I've been really avoiding the last couple of years. So I do like that Boston lineup. Um, Derek Norris in San Diego. You you like him then is what you're saying. I, I don't like him, okay. but I, I think this one maybe more had to do with the <clears throat> fact that I played against Derek Norris three times last year in our in our league, and every time I played against my field, he had a three home run week, <laughs> and he just killed me. He killed me in the playoffs where he had another two home run game, and he was just I feel like he had like ten home runs last year, and I think eight of them were against me. Um, it was just ridiculous. It's not, he's not a guy that that I that I love by any means, but. I mean, at some point you have to throw some, some, some names down here at the when we were getting down to the fifteen top fifteen guys, and he's a guy that I feel like could be right around the the fifteen range. All right, um, we are based out of Pennsylvania, so Cameron Rupp and uh, Carlos Ruiz are the Phillies catchers. Nate, who's going to take that job this year, and do you expect anything from the Philadelphia catcher? Yeah, it's it's a it's a good question. Uh, you know, Chooch was hot a couple years ago. I I was a big fan of him uh, two three years ago. He I drafted him in my fantasy league, and he uh, he did pretty well for me. And then uh, he got caught with uh, uh, I think it was methamphetamines for drugs. Yeah, and he got suspended. So there went that. But uh, I think I think Chooch still has some upside. But you know, like Stein's saying, he's get, he's getting older now, and I think it's it's time to give the shot to the younger guy. So you'd be kind of interested in Cameron Rupp, seeing what maybe he could do in Philly if he ends up being Yeah, I mean, I can't really see Philadelphia being a, a huge contender this year. So I think, 
you know, this is a, a, a good year for them to experiment and really, you know, figure out what the younger, what the younger guys have in them. Yeah. I don't think you need to sugarcoat it, Fred. Yeah, I, I don't think the Phillies are going to win 60 games this year. <laughs> uh, I, I, I can't, I find it hard to buy into anything that the Phillies are going to do for the next few years. I, I just think they're, they're probably the worst team in baseball. And I, I wouldn't want either guy on my team. No. I, the, the, I will say for the Phillies, they're closer this offseason than they were last offseason, I think. I, I think that they're starting to figure out the fact that they need to make some moves and get a little younger. Yeah, just what a disaster. What a disaster <laughs> yeah, that the no, Phillies no. ran themselves into after the four or five years of just glory of really solid teams and then not having the wherewithal to, to look ahead to the future and say, you know what, we need to rebuild sooner than later before this thing crashes. And they just let it run right into the ground. And they kind of went all in and said, hey, we're, we're going to have our five years of fame, and then we're going to have five years of just complete darkness. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of the state we're in. We know, I know we talked about it. We, we all saw it coming. Mm-hmm. And evidently they didn't. And well, Ruben Amaro didn't. Ruben Amaro didn't. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think a lot of people did, but Ruben Amaro didn't. And... Now they're paying the price for it, and it's, it's going to be a tough couple of years still in Philadelphia until they get back on track. All right, so I want to just throw out a couple more names here um, and just get some thoughts on them. You can tell me if I'm totally off base talking about these guys, but James McCann in Detroit. Good lineup. Uh, he seems to be a leader in the team, so I imagine he'll get the majority of the starts in Detroit. So any thoughts on him? Yeah, for me, it's going to come down to where they put him in the lineup. Uh, now that they have a pretty solid middle of the lineup between Cabrera, Upton, and Martinez, it's going to be where are they going to slot McCann in there if he's the kind of guy that, that bats behind those Both guys. Both Martinez's too, Victor and JD. Uh, I forgot about Victor, yeah. And Kinsler. And... <laughs> yeah, so I mean, if they, I'm assuming he's going to be in the 7-8 slot somewhere yeah. in there. I mean, 7 would be, be- would be good, hitting behind those guys. Yeah, I feel like if he can, he can hit right behind a guy like Ian Kinsler. I don't know. I don't even know what they're going to do with their lineup. It's going to be interesting, but depending on where he slotted in that lineup, they got Cameron Mabin too in the off season. Yeah, he had a nice year with Atlanta. So for me, for me, McCann. I mean, being in that lineup and just having opportunities, I feel like with guys on base, can definitely uh, boost his value a little bit. It's going to be interesting to see. Uh, I, I don't have him. I'm not highly ranking the guy just yet, but. I mean, that's certainly a lineup that you should be looking at in the beginning of the year, see how things shake out. And McCann could get some, some sneaky RBI situations and, and do some value there. Here's a guy that I think definitely is worth an AL-only flyer if you're in an AL-only league. Kurt Casale. He had, like, I want to say four home runs in four days for Tampa last year. He is the only... It's him and um, Rene Rivera in Tampa... Casale was a guy getting a lot of time um, late in the season for them until he got hurt, and I think it ended his season with maybe a couple games to play. But you kind of looked at me like, why are you talking about Kirk Casale? So. Yeah, before I jump into this one, I guess I'll have to contact our in-house Rays guy for uh, a jump onto the Casale bandwagon. But for me, I, I generally try to stay away from, from what the Rays are doing from a fantasy point because I... I feel like they jump around so much from guy to guy, day yeah. to day. Um, maybe Casale's a guy that, that jumps in there and, and gets his, some value. But I guess we'll know if Casale's any good around March 14th, um, depending <laughs> on who drafts him. So I, um, I feel like Casale could be a guy that I see getting picked up every other day in our league yeah. by, by a certain owner. So he seems to, I feel like last year he made about Brandon 75. Geyer. 75 raised transactions. It's kind of like, wow, we're playing with a guy that's in the raised front office and he's picking up raised guys on a random Tuesday that I've never heard of before. And they, they go out there and go two for four with a stolen base or hit a home run that day. And it's like, wow, this this seems really unfair. Yeah. But, I mean, the Rays seem to find guys that, that have value that, that other teams don't and that they value certain things that differently, I guess it looks like. But for me, Casale's not on my radar at this moment. So... Um, Dianair Navarro he was a guy that was DHing a lot for uh, Toronto last year now he finds himself with the White Sox a team that, that they brought in um, Alex Avila in the offseason so it's really Avila and Navarro Navarro's a guy with some pop um, 
if he's getting regular ABs in Chi Town, is he a guy you might be looking at on the waiver wire? I mean, I, I stream, wouldn't say that streamer. I. Yeah, he's not a guy that I'm gonna draft in our draft and and plug him in and hope that I, I play him all season. Uh, he's more of a guy that I would look week to week, see what his matchups are, see if there's there's any value there as far as pitching matchups that he's gonna face. If he's getting the time, that's a big thing for him because the guy certainly can swing the bat a little bit. He he has some pop in the bat, but he's not a guy I can can hang my hat on. <laughs> so, little shout out to Ed there, but. If he's getting quality ABs and he's getting he's getting consistent at bats, then he's certainly a guy you can look at as far as a, as a good streaming option. And then the last guy, I always have to throw in a little homer pick. If Molina misses extended time, Brian Pena is a guy that I think you got to take a look at. Um, he got a lot of ABs for the Reds last year. He's a pretty decent stick, much better than Tony Cruz, who's been the Cardinals' backup for the last couple of years. But if Molina misses extended time, Brian Pena is a guy that I want to grab some shares of. Yeah, Pena is definitely a guy I could see. Only if Molina's out, obviously. Mm-hmm. But it, anyone that's gonna gonna slot into that Cardinals lineup uh, seems to be a good fantasy option as far as a plug and play at a, at a catcher position. That's that's pretty weak. So if Molina's out and and Pena's going to be getting the bulk of the share there early in the season for St. Louis, then he's a guy that you can you can certainly plug into your lineup for a couple weeks. You have to laugh a little bit about Brian Pena because there was a guy in our in our. 16-team league last year that was starting Brian Pena as his corner infielder for about six straight weeks. Made me laugh so much, I, I actually texted him close to the deadline. I was like, you really don't plan on running Pena out there for the rest of the season, do you? And he's like, I don't really have any better options. Yeah. And I was like, I, I feel like I have to give you something here. Maybe you can help your team out a little bit you can, you, so you don't have to run him out there. You can just drop the guy onto the wire. I mean, he's just eating up space. So, yeah, it makes me laugh thinking about him, but Especially the fact that he was he was playing on that corner infield and, and not not catcher. Not catcher. So Yeah, that that's funny. But yeah, Pena's a guy. You gotta keep an eye on with the with the Molina injury, for sure. Alright, any anybody else that you wanted to talk about or that you didn't feel like we spent enough time on? I mean the catcher position, I knew this one was gonna be a, a, a tough show for us as far as it's really Really, Posey and Schwarber was the, was the two guys that you're, you're we're keeping an eye on. After that, it's really just a crapshoot. I mean, who do you like? What 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 kind of what do you value as far as fantasy purposes? I, I, it's interesting because we're in an auction league, and I feel like the price differential between those top two guys and the rest of the field is going to be so significant. Um, what, that's kind of what I want to talk about before we close here today. What do you think? Let's go through some some auction values. I know some Posey might be a guy that gets kept this year. I don't know his contract situation. Mm-hmm. Um, Schwarber's going to be a guy that gets kept this year. But just if they were all thrown back into the draft, what are some auction values you have for these guys? Posey, I'd say twenty five to thirty bucks, and we're talking two hundred dollar, two hundred sixty bucks, two sixty, yeah, two sixty. Um, so yeah, I could see twenty-five to thirty bucks. I don't. Uh, he is as elite as it gets with catchers. But if I'm going to spend more than thirty bucks on a player, um, I want a little more pop and maybe or um, the ability to run a little bit. Okay, so is the gap between Posey and Schwarber there in auction value? So Schwarber, what are you saying about twenty, or are you willing to go? That same price for a Schorber. No, no. Schorber, um, Schorber's going to be about 15 to 20 for me because I think we're going to find out this year that Schorber can't play left field. Um, we saw it in the playoffs, and they're going to have to catch him. And if they catch him, he's not A, not going to play every day, and B, his bat's not going to be as good because he's catching every day. So I like Schorber. Um, better than all the other catchers here. I have him second on my rankings, but um, I'm not willing to say. Like, I think if you're going to make Schwarber be as close to Posey in money value, you you're expecting Schwarber to have a better season than Posey, and I'm not willing to go there. Not, not to jump off base here. I want to get back to the other guy's value, but is it fair to say if Schwarber was in the AL that he would be? A monster value guy at the being able yeah, to I'm DH. Yeah, I'm going 30 plus for Schwarber if he's in the AL. But he just can't. He, he watched him in the playoffs. He can't play left field. I mean, there were 
routine balls that he just looked like he had no idea how to catch them. So, I, you know, I, I'm hoping that he's not in the lineup every day for the Cubs as a Cardinals fan because dude can just he looks like he was born to hit baseballs. Like that we talk about that all the time. He's huge and he just absolutely obliterates fastballs. And the park's perfect for him to play in. But there's a reason they went out there and got Jason Hayward and Ben Zobris. They value defense, too. I mean, you have to in this day and age. And maybe they got those guys so that they could play Schwarber every day. But I just... They're still talking to Dexter Fowler. You know, um, Solaire's going to get time. So I just think that... And Zobris can play left field, too. So unless they move Baez... And really open up Zobrist to only be the second baseman. I just don't think Schwarber's going to get 600 at bats. So, yeah, that's going to be something interesting to follow because obviously the guy isn't very much of a defensive asset for them. Mm. But you have to find someone on the field in the NL if you want to play every day. So I just feel like he's the kind of guy that would be so much better suited if he could just go to an AL club and swing the bat every day. Just just be a guy. Hey, let's just go mash for us and hit your 30, 35 home runs, or whatever it's going to be. Yeah. So, my next question was going to be, after those two guys, do you have anyone that you're willing to spend more than $10 on? Um, I would spend more than 10 on McCann. Because um, I think if you're spending money on catchers, more than $10 is because of the power. Because power is such a rare commodity in fantasy baseball nowadays. So, McCann and... I guess I can't do it for Mazzarocco, but if he wasn't coming off an injury easily, I would have him there. Um, I, I don't know if I could spend more than 10 on Sally Perez, even though I have him third in my rankings. I just... The, the innings scare me with him. He's playing way too much, I think. Um, I know it's great for fantasy value if you have him, but I do worry about him keeping up production and maintaining his health, so... McCann would be third as far as dollars goes for me. Yeah, I I kind of have to agree. I don't think that there's anyone besides those top two that I, I could find myself like a couple years ago going $29 or whatever mm-hmm. it was for Will and Rosario. Uh, I, I can't see myself going anywhere over 10 bucks for any of these guys. I, I feel like the value differ, differential between them just isn't that much. I see myself getting a, a catcher for one or two bucks at the end of the draft. Yeah. That's really what it's going to come down that, to. That's the nice thing about being in a 16-team league. If you can peg 16 catchers that you'd be willing to have on your team, um, then you're no, you know you're going to get one of those guys for a dollar. Um, so that's kind of the nice thing about it because when 15 other teams have a catcher, a lot of the guys in our league are savvy enough to not pay for two catchers. Um, unless one of them's Posey or Schwarber and you have that position eligibility. But even then, you're kind of losing the advantage of having those guys by moving them off catcher. So right now I'm kind of looking at maybe getting a Cervelli or a, a Wellington Castillo or even a vote. Well, I don't think vote would go for a dollar based off last season. But, yeah, like you said, getting one of these guys for a dollar is going to be the key. Yeah, just to jump into it, I'm, a couple years ago I made the mistake, I, I paid up for Will and Rosario, and I think the lesson learned here is don't do that, don't don't pay up for the catcher, because it really killed my offensive value the rest of the season. Yeah. I mean, even if Rosario would have had the season I expected, I still don't think my team would have been as good if I got a catcher for a dollar and spent that extra 28 bucks elsewhere in the draft and got some more value from some other positions just because of the, the way we've been talking all day that that catcher position if you can't get the top two guys I mean the value is so similar between the rest of the guys that you're just better off plugging and playing at, at a cheap price in this past year I kept Matt Weeders um, obviously he didn't play for the first month or so of the season and I had him on my bench but I think the fact that I only had to spend $5 for a catcher and then I, I just plugged and played for the rest of the year, it gave me that much extra cash to, to be able to go and spend on some guys and, and made my lineup a little so much better. Uh, I think that's the, the one area where you, you don't want to make the mistake because if you go and pay big on a catcher and you don't hit, I feel like it kind of kills your ability to fill out your roster in other areas. Yeah, so. and you want to go cheap because I think we're going to find, as we get into these ranking shows, first base 
second base, third base, and outfield are loaded. A lot of good players in all those positions. Shortstop, extremely thin, along with catcher. At least that's my um, 50,000-foot view right now before I've really gotten into the other positions. But, um, you know, especially third base. Third, there are so many good third basemen in baseball now. I um, mean, I saw a, someone released the top 10 list on Twitter, and it didn't have Todd Frazier on it. <laughs> like that that's what yeah. we're that's what we're talking about here with third baseman now. So it'll be fun when we get into that because I think when you get into you know, those positions and there's so much talent, um, I think we're gonna differ on some guys and it's not gonna be chocolate pretty much like it was today. Talk about a complete flip flop because not, not too long ago third base was so yeah. weak there was yeah. just no one there. And now you're looking at a spot where we're gonna have ten, twelve guys that are that are really valuable guys at the position, so went from being one of the shortest positions in the league to now being a pretty deep position mm-hmm. from a fantasy perspective. Yeah, I think the main you know main thing to take out of this is that you know the catchers are it's so weak that you can you can really spend the money elsewhere. I mean, I mean the major league season's so long that some of the young guys that get hot, uh, you want to pick them up. You want to have that cash that you can you know invest in them and get them while they're hot. Yeah, you know. Before anyone else does. Yeah, exactly. You want you want to be able to have your assets in other places where they have the ability to explode, and catcher is not catcher is just not that position. All right. Any anything else before we wrap up here? No, I think I think we had a good show. Uh, it's just good to be talking baseball again. Uh, yeah. I, I think we had a long NFL season, and we <laughs> we really enjoyed it, and we we grinded out. I mean, especially the two of us. But it's it's fun to. I know I just started getting back into my baseball grind. I know last season we spent a lot of time, mm-hmm. and it's it's so much of a different animal. I mean, it's an everyday grind, but it's nice to be talking baseball again, just getting back into the groove of it, Yeah, and only get better from here. Especially with two feet of snow on the ground outside, um, just being able to think about watching guys run around in spring training, um, I think that gets everyone a little, little bit more excited here, so... Um, also looking forward to the Baseball America Prospect Handbook coming out. I'd like to eventually do a show on that too, kind of recapping what they did. Um, so that'll be fun. But you can find us on iTunes, um, Red Triangle Sports Podcast. Find us on Twitter, Red Triangle Twenty Three. Um, give us a review on iTunes. You can also find us on SoundCloud. Make sure to uh, subscribe to the the podcast and let us know how we're doing. Find us on Twitter. And, you know, let us know if you want anything, a show you'd want us to do or anything you want us to talk about. So, um, signing off for Nate Fretz and Shane Stein, I'm Matt Kozlowski. Thank you, and uh, enjoy the rest of your day.